We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. We're talking quarterback and running back historical distribution scores on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hi, everyone. Welcome on into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC and my bookie. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined tonight by Matt Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. He's been away for, I believe, three weeks now, three shows, but Matt is back. How's it going, Matt? And give us a quick synopsis of the trip. Uh, it's going well. Um, very happy to be home sleeping in my own bed. Um, but loved the trip. Um, I went, uh, through just the South of Europe. That's probably like the, just the easiest way of saying it. Um, and kind of like around Italy and then on the other side of the, uh, the boot. So, uh, hit Greece and hit Croatia, which was awesome. Uh, I really wasn't expecting much out of Croatia. I just didn't like really know much about the country or anything, but uh, really beautiful. And um, Dubrovnik, the city uh, that we went to, is like the base for King's Landing ooh, in uh, ooh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. So like that was actually pretty cool. That is really awesome. Um, 
perhaps in a less uh, football intensive month, we can regroup on some of that because I find that pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Yep. So as we were talking about before the show, you actually were able to take like a legitimate vacation. So you did not have internet. So as it, 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 though Matt did do some reading and keeping up with it, it might be possible that you have small gaps of information, I gather. No, I have full information. I just don't have fully updated projections. Oh, okay. Yet. But I was I was listening to uh to podcast the whole time. So whenever I would uh I didn't have internet on the ship. Yep. Um, but whenever we would land uh, in a port, I would get internet and download more episodes. Gotcha. Uh, so I am I am fully aware of what's happening. All right. I like it. So tonight we're going to talk about um, a concept that you and I have talked about a couple of times. And anybody that's familiar with Rotoviz is probably well aware of at this point. And that is I've kind of changed the name of it to a historical projection process. We used to call them sim scores. Uh, and I've taken it to another step of what we now call historical distribution scores. But the underlying concept is one way to potentially predict a player's statistical output and in turn fantasy points in the coming season is to take his stat line from the season prior, identify the stats that are able to carry from year to year. So they're predictive year to year and then also those stats that carry from year to year and also are predictive of fantasy points and like i've said in the past it'd be fun if there were some really interesting cool unanticipated data points that you could find but for the most part you're really looking at those key things that intuitively you'd expect to drive scoring uh for example for running backs clearly attempts is going to be a huge factor Rushing yards is going to be a big factor. Uh, for quarterback, there's going to be um, more of a focus on touchdowns than incompletions. You know, these are pretty intuitive things. And then I do have certain elements, um, such as expected points in certain positions, do actually factor in and make things a little bit more predictive. But it's a pretty simple process like that. And be, I guess before I go to the historical distribution score process, Matt, that or what I just said, do you think that um gives enough of a background? Yeah, is this um similar to Gillespie? Yeah, exactly. It's basically doing the same thing just for a season long. For a season, yeah. 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 Um yeah, it's um yeah, I mean I remember like the original Sim score app when uh Fantasy Douche created it, like I guess at this point probably like five or six years ago. Um So obviously it's good um, that this idea still exists. I think it's uh, like a very reasonable way for how to approach things. One one thing that I would – I want to say – I'm trying to think of the right way. I wouldn't like take – umbridge or whatever with (laughs) with historical historical data used in this way. But um, I think like the sample of one year is a little restrictive. For sure. Like I – I don't know, like I've tried to uh, use more of a system where looking a little bit more at uh, career data or data of like the past two or three or four years, like, and I think it's something of a moving target, which is what makes it hard to, I think, create like a streamlined app on that. Um, But I think, you know, like there's the the science and then like the art of it. And so I think the, the art is kind of taking this basic methodology and then trying to apply it to apply it on a player to by player basis 
in a way that makes sense for that player. But that's really hard to kind of define what it is that makes sense for any given player. You know what I mean? But a lot of it is just based on uh, like the coach or the coordinator or like aging curves or things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I think one of the things that I've gone back and forth on building in and um, I turned this into a shiny app this year. So for those of you that don't know, generally we use R, which is a statistical software. And then there's a package called Shiny that allows you to make web apps, which are most of the apps on the site are based out of. Historically, I had done things in Excel. I'm making the jump. So I got everything set up for the first time um, in relation to these on the site in a Shiny app this year. So I was trying to learn that. What I might build in next year when I have more time to ponder is doing some type of thing where you have the option of taking a player's average from the last three years and then restricting the search so that when it looks at his most recent season, it's only going to include seasons where players would have had three seasons prior to that season that would be similar to the player in the search. Now, that's kind of a tricky thing, though, because one of the things that I like to do with these historical projections is not so much use them to say this is where this player should score in 2019, but to look and say the players that he matched to did this in 2018, what happened to their efficiency in 2019? Do we see all of these players becoming less efficient? Do we see them becoming more efficient? Uh, Did we see that all of these players improved? Did all of them go down? And there's some players who, when you look at that one year, it's very clear for you to conclude, okay, yes, like I thought that this year was going to be probably an outlier for this player and it looks like that's going to be the case and then just by looking at the matches too and thinking about the player it's also good in your head to run through and just try to make sense of if the matches feel appropriate for that player Um, because you could have cases where um, you know a player was just so good or scored his points in a way that though the math will find the most similar matches. You know, they're not really 100% representative. Um, so there's, there's, like you said, an art to kind of interpreting the results. But yeah, it's very hard to kind of have one blanket approach that you could just build into an app that's going to be the perfect me- methodology for every player. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that is good with this, sorry, I phrased that horribly. <laughs> it's fine. It's not as if like there's like one thing that's good with this. But uh, what I meant to, to say mm-hmm. was, uh, I think what... Um, mitigates the fact that you're focusing only on one year's worth of data is that you do come up with a range of right. uh of similar players and that range i think probably approximates the range that you would see if you were looking at a larger sample of data anyway you know what i mean Absolutely. so i think i think it's still pretty close yep. even with with one year of data right and the thing that i did this year Um, which I had tried to capture with HDS, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, But the thing that I did this year was I built into the app a distribution graph, which is technically just a histogram. Math stuff, nerdy stuff aside, when you look at it, it's going to have a histogram that's going to show you how many of the top 20 matches for this player scored between 10 to 12 points and how many of you know what was the count of players that were at 20 points for example so it builds out this graphical picture of where those players points fall which is going to give a lot more context than just saying this player's low was 10 points his median was 15 and his high was 28 well what if you know with the way that things work out 
that low point of 10 was just one player. It's not as meaningful as if you had one player whose low was 10, then 12, 13, 14, 15 versus a player that might have a 9 but had fewer players down in that low range, if that makes sense without the visual. Yeah, so, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. So what I also did last year um, was I took this concept of what I called a historical distribution score, and it was trying to quantify this range of outcomes into a single number. Now, what we've talked about a lot this summer is that there should be, at least in our drafting philosophy and what I would like Rotoviz listeners and users to incorporate into theirs, is an increased emphasis placed on upside. So what I did was... I built historical distribution scores, and I'm just going to read what I wrote about this last year, which describe a player's range of outcomes in a single value. It does so by penalizing players when their comparables produced less than 10 points per game in year N plus 1 and rewarding them in the opposite situation. Inflators are used to give more weight to finishes further away from 10 points per game in either direction. Um and I elected to use 10 points per game as the line of demarcation as we often consider per- performances under 10 points to be bad and those above it to be acceptable. So there's kind of like this floating scale um, where the further that you get away from 10, the better your inflator. And then obviously you'd have a negative deflator as you get under 10. So like a a, a, a match that's at 10 basically has a zero impact on your HDS. Um, so it's capturing upside within your range of outcomes. Again, this will probably be easier to to digest once it goes up on the site and you can see that histogram in relation to the number. Um, But that's kind of the background. And now I thought we could just kind of look at some players. We can get your reactions, Matt, see what we think of these scores when we remove them from a, you know, purely historical projection type of context. Yeah. So one question I have um, about HDS when you are looking at players in uh, their in yep. year, are you uh, evaluating them on a per game basis uh, per or game, for this season? Which will add some, yeah, some. Yeah. I don't know if noise is the right word, but you kind of have to pick. Obviously, one way you're doing it: either you're going per game or you're going right. full season. I thought it just made more sense to go per game because it allows so. you to pull in players like, for example, Devonta Freeman only played in two games. But then it allows me to at least do something with him. Now, in the past, I have included players like um, when we had, I can't think of a good example right now, but when a player would miss the full season, I would just take their stats from the season, their most recent season that they did play. But I decided not to do that this year. So those players won't be in the app. But anybody who logged a game will be on, yeah, it's on a per game basis. So... Yeah. yeah I so think like that I makes think sense. um I'm not I haven't actually decided if I'm gonna like display the players two thousand eighteen stats that are in there on a per game or a full game. But since I'm gonna show all of the matches on a per game, I think they will be displayed in per game. But that's definitely how the math will work regardless of how I do it. So why don't you take a guess yeah. who has the strongest overall HDS score at the quarterback position? Uh, I have no idea, but I would, if I had to guess, um, I, I think like Patrick Mahomes is too chalky and maybe like too obvious. Um, I will, I would say like Deshaun Watson. I'm glad that you said that we will talk about Deshaun, but the answer is actually, and this is so funny. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually, that does make sense. Thinking that, that this right. is on a per game basis. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. Actually, here's a, a question. And I should have asked this before I gave an answer. How, uh, how much does running factor into this? Um, well, I don't have my actual weightings opened up, but I will say that running probably factors in. If I have to remember, it's probably somewhere between. Uh, actually, you know what? Because this is a really curious question, Matt. Let me open that up. Okay. So, and I guess like part of the maybe I even phrased that poorly. Um, so yeah, my the, wife the just got home. I so. phrased it poorly. <laughs> um, part of so part of the question is um. Like what are the what are the factors that you are looking at, um, and is it so rushing? Okay, so I'm sorry. It's actually closer to rushing only accounts for about sixteen uh, percent. Yeah, yeah, um, right. So in that instance, um, I would be inclined to fade. Yep. In in this question, I would be inclined to fade guys who actually get a decent chunk of their production uh with their legs and i probably would try to go with some guy who's more of a, just a passer which uh in that instance uh i never would have guessed ryan fitzpatrick i maybe would have guessed matt ryan maybe um well so, but, so yeah. the interesting thing about this and it does go back to the fact because we're looking at this on a per game basis he had those couple of absolutely ridiculous games what in the end, ended up getting oh, yeah. benched was kind of a turnover problem, which doesn't really factor into uh, something like this. Oh, hold on, Matt. Can you hold on one second? My daughter just got home. She's about to go to bed. Yeah. Yep. Hey, yep. Boo-boo. All right, Matt, we have a special guest appearance here. Huh. Is it, yeah, it, is. Is it a hi, boo-boo Elise. appearance? Hi. What do you want to say? At least say you are now listening to Rotoviz Radio. I'm listening to Radio. <laughs> nice job. That was excellent. <laughs> Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. But when you actually look at some of these comps, he managed to pull in like a lot of Tom Brady. His best match was Carson Palmer from 2015. Uh, there's a couple of Aaron Rodgers, some Peyton Manning. And what this shows is that sometimes you very clearly do have to fade players um, in this process. Best example this last season was Alex Smith, who had such an outlier in 2017. Yeah. I mean, that would have been one of the instances where, so two things, one, the sample size from, uh, even the season last, last year on a, like a, you know, not even a per game basis, but just the number of games he didn't play like that actually means something. And then, uh, it's just one season. So if you looked more at career numbers or three to five year numbers for him, it yeah, would have been a for totally sure. different So he's number. one of those players where you have to take, um, just what you know about that player into context. Now, Deshaun Watson. Right. Um, yeah. And I almost don't want to give this away because it's just so fantastic to see, but he looks like he is absolutely going to kill it. He has the strongest HDS of any player that's not Ryan Fitzpatrick by a long shot. 
And the other thing that's really interesting is despite having so many positive matches, such as Aaron Rodgers, Dante Kelpepper from a number of seasons, Cam Newton, um, Mike Vick gets his way in there, even Jeff Garcia, just about every single one of his comps did better in their N plus one season. So, I mean, his historical projection is really expecting him to explode. It puts him on... Um, about 30 rushing yards, 0.3 rushing touchdowns per game, 1.7 passing touchdowns, 240 yards, an average points per game of around 22, a high of only 24.4, which is not the highest that we see, but his low is at 20 and a half. So this is a really solid projection and for a player that I was already expecting to have a great year. So to me, this feels like one that we can read into. Yeah, I mean, that's why I guess that he was number one. Like, he's my number one ranked quarterback, um, even though I, I think Mahomes has a higher ceiling. Um, I think Watson probably has just as high of a floor and has uh, maybe a higher median outcome. So, uh, yeah, I yeah, think Watson's me too. going so to crush. I, I am really excited about him. Uh, ben Roethlisberger actually scored pretty strongly Um in comparison to other players, he comes in at fourth. And I guess this is just curious to me because we've talked about the fact that Antonio Brown is gone. This tool does not know that. Um, and we've been trying to figure out how much of an impact Brown being gone would make. His HDS is 310, which uh, Watson was at 332, so that's pretty good. A low of 19, a high of 24.5, should throw around two touchdowns per game, obviously. Minimal rushing, getting to almost 300 yards per game. We're going to talk about AB very quickly later. Now that you've had more time to digest what this team might look like without Antonio Brown, does that stat line that I just read off feel feasible for Roethlisberger? Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, you know, I think it helps that he's in a pass heavy system. Um, and I think they will continue to be pass heavy, uh, kind of regardless of game script, really. Um, I don't know if you remember last year, we were talking like similar time of year. And I yep. think we were going through your projections. And I think you had Roethlisberger as a like a top five guy, right? But then you were like, "That's way too high." Right. Like I need to, I need to drop him down. And I was like, <laughs> uh, "I actually think he could have a pretty good season." I think it's like it's a similar thing. Um, I mean, not to cast too much shade <laughs> on Antonio Brown, but um, I don't know. I think there's, you know, he has a strong number one receiver. Um, he has other options in that offense. And the offensive system itself is very much catered to him. So I think he will do something approximating what he did last year. Yeah, I mean, I'm, that's kind of where I'm at, too. Um, I guess only time will tell. Although I will say, you know, like for where I'd be taking Roethlisberger, he still falls into this range of players uh, or quarterbacks where like, it's in a range that I don't really care who they are. I consider them all to be pretty similar. That's pretty much analogous with players like probably Matt Ryan to Kirk Cousins. I know some people might disagree with that Matt Ryan take, but. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. Okay. Um, I mean, at a certain point, I kind of don't really care which guy it is. More, it's like I, I care which guy I'm not drafting, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So a player that does not score that well is Russell Wilson. And 
I subjectively am not expecting too much from from Russell Wilson, and his historical projection puts well over 70% of his matches below 20 points per game. Where are you on Wilson? Yeah, I'm fading him. Um, and uh, I mean, I think a part of it is that people will look at uh, his historical production yep. and they'll say like, okay, he's been, you know, like a top 10, uh, you know, give or take one position, but like a, a top 10 finisher at quarterback for his entire career, like each each year of uh, of his career. And like that is the case, but like last year, the offense was different than it had been previously. Um, and he just had a, a very high touchdown rate, which is going to regress. Like last year it was a career high rate of 8.2. Like that will regress. Um, I don't think what is going to regress is the run heavy nature of the offense that he's in. So I think that is actually going to be something that holds him back a little bit. For sure. And I think the other thing is we did see Wilson start to rush less and he really got down to a point where his rushing was a non-factor. I mean, on a per game basis last year, he rushed just four times a game. We did not see, you know, this vast rushing production, which, you know, is not going to translate to many fantasy points when you're only rushing four times a game. His historical projection puts him at just three rushes a game for around 13 yards and point one touchdown. Now, I think that I would I would take the over on those numbers. Right. But it's not a good sign. Yeah, exactly. Because if you think of the absolute increase that he would need to have to get back to a point to where he's this Russell Wilson that we could think of as a player that's going to accrue a lot of production on the ground. I just don't think it's there. There were also signs that you could pick up just from watching the games and seeing how they were operating with him that kind of make it seem like they do not want him to be scrambling around too much. Has, you know, had a couple of times where he's been banged up as well, which is something to factor in. Yeah, what's amazing is that he's never missed a game in his career, but he has had, uh, the, and he's actually pretty good at avoiding injury. But um, yeah, the, I mean, there have been times when he has been injured and, uh, it's like this worst case scenario where even though he is in, uh, like a very run heavy offense, like maybe the most run heavy offense in the league, except for, uh, the Ravens, um, he's running at a, a career low rate, which is like the worst thing ever. It's like, he's like the opposite of, uh, Lamar Jackson. Absolutely. So like, and Jackson's the next player we're going to talk about, but, um, I think the takeaway here is. He is a great example of when you're drafting a player in a certain year, you're not drafting the prior year versions of that player. And I think that we probably need to make a mental adjustment for who Russell Wilson is today versus who he was two, three years ago. Yeah, if you if you created a projection for Russell Wilson and then didn't put his name next to it, um, you would think like, oh, that's a player I definitely should not even touch. But people are just going to see the name and think that, uh, you know, he is bound to provide top 10 value. Yeah. And I also think there's this thought that people might have who went aggressively after Wilson last season that if they get him again and he has an okay season, it somehow recoups some of what they lost, which we've talked about a million times is not how things work and not a good way to run your teams. Yeah. Lamar Jackson, and I talked about him ex- extensively. Um, with Mike Randall over the weekend on the mailbag, which I think we'll be publishing at the end of this week. 
But Lamar Jackson does not do very well at all from a historical projection basis. Now, obviously, we have a limited sample. He did not play in an extremely large amount of games. He did rush a lot. But here's the thing, Matt. I've been questioning if Lamar Jackson will be able to take a step forward as a passer. People are saying he could progress. I say go back and find a find me a lot of examples of passers with a profile like Jackson that actually did improve. As we've talked about, even players that were drafted with the first and second uh, picks in the draft, like Winston and Mariota, we have not seen too much improvement from. But perhaps even more condemning for Lamar Jackson is if you look at his matches in their N1 season, even players that ran the ball a lot. Um, for example, you have players like uh, Mike Vick in 2014, in 2002, 2005, getting over seven rushes per game. Vick only in those three seasons went over 20 points one time and was at 16 and 17. And Mike Vick is the best type of match that you're going to find in a set firm. You're going to have other guys like Tim Tebow, Vince Young, Cordell Stewart, Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick is worth noting because the coach that he is going to be playing, uh, is it the, their OC, right? Didn't he actually coach Kaepernick yeah, in? Greg, yeah. Yeah. Greg, Greg Roman. Roman. Thank yeah. you. Uh, Kaepernick is one of his better matches, only got to 19 points a game, but we see a lot of players down in that 15 range, in that 10. And in fact, his historical distribution score of every player that I felt like had a chance of playing or being relevant that got included in the um, model when I ran everything, he's the third lowest. Um, Rushing touchdowns only come out to 0.2 per game. Um and the thing is, the players that he's matched with, these are all guys that do a lot of rushing. So you're at less than a passing touchdown per game, only 165 yards. So for me, this matches up with my expectations. Can you rebut this, perhaps paint a brighter picture of what we can expect from Jackson? Because I know that I'm in the minority, actually, I feel like, in the industry. Yeah, um, I'm pretty high on him. And I think this like i think jackson is actually kind of a guy that maybe exposes a little bit um just like the slipperiness of hds yep. and how like if you had like a, a a perfect system it would take into account other things that you can't get in something like this so for instance it doesn't take into account that uh he came in in the middle of the season right yep. it doesn't take into account that he was 21 years old and playing as a rookie Right, so like there are these. Uh, actually, that these does things. to a very small degree. Oh, it does take his age into yeah, account. Yeah, yep. And it it takes like uh, first year experience into account. Uh, yeah. I mean, those are actually very small factors because you find when you start, you know, doing like the correlations and things, they don't really all matter all that much. But I do include it because it helps get you better matches. But right. they're not very heavy in there, so it, it's a fair point. But I just wanted to make that slight correction. Okay. And then, uh, okay, so it's factored in there, but like I would say there's a, a pretty big, uh, it's pretty significant that a guy is playing as a 21 year old rookie. Right. Um, I think you can project progression uh, as he ages and then also like as he just gets more experience. Um, but then I think the, the big thing is um, if you are looking at um, your matches based on points per game, um, actually, here's the question. Has has there been any era adjustment in the points or no? No, there hasn't. Yeah. So, you know, like 
I, I think Vic is the person that you want him to match with. Yep. So actually that he matches with Vic makes me feel pretty good because uh, Vic in 2002 was the number two uh, quarterback in fantasy. You know, in 2005, 2006, 2010, he was a, a top six guy. Um, 2004, he was number 12. Yep. Like, I think you want Lamar Jackson matching with Vic because that's pretty much who he is. I, I hear um, that point, but I'm going to rebut it before we move along because think about this. Okay. Though. I could understand the era adjustment, but the thing is Jackson's going to match with Vic based upon the rushing. And if we were going to make an adjustment for the era, I think that we would be doing the adjusting for the players that accrue a lot of passing production. Well, what I'm saying is like adjusting for points. You know, so like the like the ten point threshold, uh, or like whatever the high threshold is for Vic yep. when you're matching for someone. Okay, so you're saying that you know, fifteen like points 15 back in the years day ago would deserve yeah. more of an inflator than fifteen points now. I yeah, don't know if I'm exactly. on board with that though, because it's not the like I guess in this case if they have similar rushing stats, I don't see why it matters. I think it matters because. Uh, like the era is just in, like deflated back then. Like scoring was just much lower then relative to now. Okay. Um, that's like your opinion, man. Uh, that's just my way of saying I don't <laughs> agree. So we'll just move on. Okay. I mean, that that's fine. But uh, I think, I don't know. I, I think Jackson is, so let me, let me put yeah. it like this. He could be a train wreck. Like, he could be an absolute train wreck. Um, but even then, in a Tebow-esque kind of way, he could still uh, outkick his ADP. Okay. Um, and then on the flip side, like, he could progress a little bit as a passer, and he could be in an offense that use it, utilizes him a lot as a runner, which could just explode his value. Um, so... I think he's worth drafting because he's going fairly late. Okay, that's actually a perfectly acceptable way to frame it. And I think that what it comes back to is you believe that there's a lot of upside that could not be captured based upon a model like this. And I think when you put it through a frame like that, I'm definitely on board. Because what I'm really trying to do here is find ways to identify guys with high upside. Um, so perhaps ruling a player like Jackson out based on something like this wouldn't be the way to go. And me using this is kind of like, you know, there's an element of confirmation bias in there. So I, I, I'll, I'll accept your uh, what you've submitted there. Okay, thank you. I would say like go look at go look at Vic from 2002 to like 2006 uh on a per game basis and then um like I think Vic would probably be across that time like I don't know, quarterback 3, quarterback 4 mm-hmm. maybe. Um I think like that is the upside that Jackson okay, has. Okay, so actually though, I want to ask a question here about this though, right? If we take Mike Vic and that second, third, fourth type of finish, right, from back when he was playing, and you insert Vic into the league now, for that yeah. to hold, there'd have to be an increase in his output, right? Like, so what do you think that increase really would be? What would the increase be? So I think part of it would be that he would be playing in a faster offense. Yep. Um, I think he would probably be playing with uh, – coaches who were better equipped to manage okay. him. So like it's like he was the first 
of his type, really. I guess you could say Randall Cunningham was the first of that type, but like Vic was just different than anything that had that like people had seen in recent history. I don't think he was paired with someone who could really utilize him well. But because at this point there have been players like Vic, they would have a better sense of how to use Vic. Okay, you yeah, know that I mean? all makes sense. Yep. And I think that's that's helpful, especially how you point out the pace of play, because I could see somebody could be listening and be like, well, like, you know, how are things going to change? But I think that you're right. Cause, and I think I think it would also just be easier for him to complete passes. Yeah. So, yep. fif- so 56.2% was his career completion rate. Um, you know, I think it would be closer to like 59 now. You mm-hmm. know, he's still not good. But just like in this era, it's easier for uh, quarterbacks to complete passes. Okay, this this is interesting. Um, that's another thing I might have to look about next year. So, you know, it's one of those things, if I do smooth out the points over time, I wonder how much of a, you know, how much that really impacts the results or how much more, I guess, accurate it could make things. I don't know. I'll have to find out. That's an interesting thought. So we ended up talking about quarterbacks a lot longer than I thought. Um, so we might not get to the final segment, but we are going to talk about the running back historical distribution scores. But before we do that, I want to take a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. It's been 10 years since the FFPC filled their first dynasty league and they've grown to be the world's largest dynasty league commissioner with leagues as high as $5,000 to enter. FFPC leagues are active and competitive and not a single league has ever folded. Brand new startup dynasty leagues are forming right now, starting at just $77 and up in standard Superflex and best ball formats. And if you're ready for the greatest challenge, take on Friedman and I in this year's FFPC main event. What is the main event? It's the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football. And this year, it's coming at you with a half a million dollar grand prize and over 3.1 million in total prizes. Come to Las Vegas for a three-day weekend of live drafts and festivities at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino or draft online from the comfort of your home. Main event drafts begin August 23rd and run through the start of the season. I am really looking forward to ours, Matt. Um, hopefully we can get uh, on a pay- on the same page on enough players uh, before that draft. Yeah, uh, hopefully, but uh, who knows? Maybe uh, it will be better if we're like very combative yeah. about the players we want to take. <laughs> well, Fantasy Mansion's coming on to the show next week, so we can ask him to break our little uh, Lamar Jackson tie. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, you get back. It, it could have been worse. He could have been the first show back from vacation. That's true. Man, I was really hoping uh, that would just somehow happen while I was gone. (laughs) Well, you know, the people wanted to pair you guys again. I haven't decided if you'll be facing off against each other in a game or not. I know you guys thought it was going to be a bad segment, but I got a lot of uh, positive response from that, (laughs) regardless of how formal of a game it actually was. Yeah. Uh, I don't even remember what the game was. I just remember that it was horrible. It was just a bunch of like random <laughs> BS trivia questions, which also were completely slanted in his direction because the stats that I used were all uh, like player profile or metrics yeah. and like things like that. I, I do remember something hinged around Robbie Anderson's 40 time. <laughs> I'd have to go back, but that's probably true. 
<laughs> All right. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Anyways, uh, the first player we'll look at is Saquon Barkley, who has a strong HDS, um, not the strongest of every running back included. Um, His matches did tend to fall a little bit in their subsequent season. Um, His high is at 20.3 points. Of course, though, he does have a number of matches that do go for more than 20 points in PPR, with his strongest match being 2018 Todd Gurley. You also have 2007 Brian Westbrook, 2017 Le'Veon Bell. I mean, I think that this is the type of outcome that we just expect. Um, I brought it up just because I'm sure that people are curious to see if there is some type of massive regression that you would have to expect. And I think what we're seeing is when you have players that put up such spectacular lines, they are able to repeat it year over year. Yeah. Even if there is some regression, I think Barkley is as close uh, of a lock as you can find to finishing in the top five at the position. You know what I mean? Like um, he might score fewer touchdowns this year, um, he's probably not going to break off like five touchdowns of like 40 or 50 yards or whatever the obscene number was last year, but, um, he's still going to get a lot of touches, you know, regardless of game script. So, uh, yeah, it's not a surprise that he has a very high HDS. Yeah. So a player that, um, I've been coming around to more and more is Joe Mixon and he has a very strong HDS, not in that it's all concentrated in one area. He does have some matches that fall down around that 10, 12 range, but he also has a number that went over 20. And so he actually finishes in terms of HDS as the eighth uh, highest scoring running back behind, right behind actually Barkley and McCaffrey. And, he also has a high of 21.4, a low of 12.7, um, 81 yards per game, a half a rushing touchdown per game, some decent production as a receiver. And when I look at this, I think it feels right. Also, we did not see a significant number of players falling behind what they did in their year end season as well. Uh, so this is just another thing that points towards things looking good for Mixon. Of course, in the time that you've been gone, AJ Green suffers that injury. I feel yeah. bad about his prospects of getting back earlier than later. Uh, why don't you give us your thoughts on Mixon and if you think that there's any type of impact on Mixon, you know, in regard to that AJ Green injury? Yeah, I mean, I think the bigger thing uh, with Mixon is that his left tackle. Uh, who was going to be a rookie. So there's always the question about how good would he have been anyway, but he was a first rounder. Jonah Williams is out for the year because of an injury. Uh, And then I forget his name, but I think the guy who is going to be left guard retired. So like that offensive line um, has not been good for a while. And I think it has impacted Mixon's ability to produce. Uh, And it definitely doesn't help that um, AJ Green is out. 
but I think Mixon is still going to see a pretty good number of touches. Like, and I don't want to say like, what is the difference between Mixon and Saquon Barkley? Um, but I think they're actually like pretty close. Um, if not for the off field issues, Mixon would have been a first rounder. I think, um, you know, he's a physical, uh, he's like a physical freak, not to the extent that Barkley is, but like he, at his pro day, like he was like very impressive. Um, a 21 year old rookie, just like Barkley was, um, there's a lot to like about Mixon, but both of those guys are in subpar offenses. Um, and so I think they're, they're going to get their volume, but they probably won't be as efficient, especially when it comes to scoring touchdowns, but I still like Mixon. And I feel like, I don't know, like a month and a half ago, we kind of debated Mixon back and forth. Yeah. And yeah, it, it sounds like you're, you're coming around on him a little bit. I'm actually maybe cooling on him a little <laughs> bit. Uh, and it, it has to do with the injuries to the offensive line and I guess a little bit AJ Green, but I think he now has more downside than he had, um, uh, like six weeks ago. And given where you have to draft him, like I want to stay away from guys who maybe have uh, like uh, an expansive range of outcomes with something really bad on the low end. For sure. Yeah. And um, that does seem to be the case. And I think that one of the things that is harder to envision now, and Sean actually um, on Road of his overtime has talked about this a couple of times that he was really feeling good about the prospects of Cincinnati making a big turnaround this season, but it's going to be hard for them to really um, take tremendous steps forward as an offense without their best player, um, assuming that you assume that AJ Green is their best player. So that does kind of throw a wrench in that a little bit. Yeah, and, and not to mention, we really have no idea what Zach Taylor's offense is going to look like. We can like make projections and assume that it might be something close to what we saw from the Rams last year or from the Falcons a few years ago, but we really have no idea. Yeah, that's very fair, I guess. So my question for you is, do you think that we have more of an idea of what they will do or what Cliff Kingsbury will do in Arizona? Because I did get a question, which was, um, what's the team that I felt least confident about projecting? And like, I feel like the answer should be Arizona, but I just, no, I, I no. so much expect that there's going to be this ridiculous play volume that maybe the harder piece with them is determining how the target share will get allocated. Yeah, I, I think it's, I don't want to say it's easy to project the Cardinals, but I, th- I have a much better sense of one, what they will try to do. And then two, um, the efficiency with which they might be able to do that. Uh, than I do with the uh, with the Bengals. I have no sense of what they're really going to try to do on offense, and uh, I have no idea of how efficient they're going to be. If I had to bet, I would bet they're not going to be efficient at whatever it is they try to do. Right. You know, and I actually find um, Green Bay to have been pretty confusing as well with that change because I, d- I have almost less of an idea of what to expect LaFleur to do and you don't know how things are going to mesh with him and Rodgers. There's a lot of questions yeah. of how things will shake out in that receiving core. So they were one of the hard teams for me as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think in that case, it's just like Aaron Rodgers. Like right. he's, he's the factor that matters. Right. All right. Another running back I wanted to mention, James White. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Intuitively, would you expect that White would score poorly or strongly given that uh, ridiculous stretch at the beginning of the season kind of being offset with a weaker second half 
I would expect him to score pretty well um, because I think with receiving backs and I granted, I don't know exactly what the weights yep. are, what goes into it, but I would imagine that guys who uh, are receiving backs tend to have a pretty high amount of stickiness year to year in their target total. And that's really, I think, what would be driving his projection in the first place. Yeah, you're right. Actually, he has a very competitive HDS, and he also has a very competitive high of 17 points, a low of 8, median of 12. And I think what we've seen with White is year over year, he manages to stay relevant, just like you said, with the receiving. Now, the line that gets projected does have his targets dropping by about three per game, which I actually don't think is going to happen. So that makes this projection even more encouraging. Um, It does cover you know, the full gamut of scores that you could get. But the nice thing is that you do have players getting up and above 20. Um, and I'm inclined to take this and it kind of falls into what I'm expecting from White. But I think that um, if people are worried about Sony Michelle, Damien Harris, Rex Burkhead, and James White, how they're all going to fit together, I actually probably feel the best about White and then Harris just because Harris is still going at a depressed price. Yeah. I mean, I think at a minimum, we have a pretty strong sense of how the Patriots want to use White. And there's a non-zero chance that he actually ends up being, I don't want to say like the goal line back, but like the back who scores the most touchdowns. Well, yeah. I mean, he's been so reliable when that team really needs him. They turn to him and he's proven time and time again that he can. And also he does add a level of versatility um, around the goal line. So I could get on board with that. Yeah, so he's he's played uh, over the last four years. He's played sixty games and scored twenty six touchdowns. Like that's not horrible. No, that's not. Especially when you consider the percentage of times that he's actually getting used as well. Yeah. So if we yeah. do see um, a situation where, given Gronkowski being gone and uh, perhaps. Michelle not being able to be as much of a factor maybe the receiving core doesn't shake out like we think it's possible that you know that usage goes up especially in those quality situations Dalvin Cook um, I have been undecided on most of the summer I did find myself drafting him in the Scott Fishbowl but I'm just not really sure what to expect he has a HDS and just a historical projection that position him as an RB2, he does not have any players in their year N plus one season getting over 20 points in a substantial amount um, underneath 15. A low projection of 10, a high of just 13.7. Do you think this is a case where we need to fade this just given that high and low? Yeah, I mean, I've been saying this, I feel like, for like, you know, half a decade. No, but I mean, uh, I think he's untouchable. And that's, I know that's not like a, a popular opinion, um, especially because, I don't know, like the, the running back whisperer uh, is there now in, in Minnesota. But uh, I think there's only so much that um, a new scheme and a new offensive line can do. And I'm actually not even fully convinced that Dalvin Cook is going to be um, the, I think he will lead the backfield in touches, but I don't think he's going to be the guy who gets like 20 touches per game. Um, I think that Alexander Madison is actually going to get more of the Latavius Murray type of workload than people are expecting. Like that's, I feel like that's what happens 
when you draft a player with the top 100 pick and he was a touchdown scorer and a volume guy and he's big. Yeah. Like, that's, I feel like that's what happened. Okay. So, in, in the role that you envision he could get, is that going to be one where he's mainly used um, in goal line short yard situations? Or do you think that, um, you know, he could get up to like a 35, 40% share of rushes? Mm, I think, I mean, I think. It could be either of those. I think the bigger threat is that he is the goal line guy right. or like the more realistic threat, but that like, that's what matters. Like um, if cook is a guy who gets a lot of touches, but he's not scoring touchdowns, like no one's going to be that happy if they actually have him on their team. Um, so I think if Madison is getting the goal line touches, that is enough, but he also could be a guy who gets 40%. Um, and even if Gary Kubiak is able to make, um, that offensive line much better and make the running scheme much more functional, it won't matter if Cook isn't getting the touchdowns. If you want to stake in the best fight card on the 2019 calendar, you've got to head to my bookie. Danielle Cormier defends the UFC heavyweight title against Type Myokic. Okay, I don't know how to say these names, but nonetheless, Nate Diaz is back in the octagon for the first time since 2016, and UFC 241 is stacked, and my bookie is the place to put some money down on the fight, especially if you go and check out uh, TJ Calkins' MMA sub that we have on the site. He's been crushing it, and my bookie has better bonuses and more MMA odds than any other sportsbook, period, so make use of TJ's work, and then head on over to my bookie uh, and get involved in that UFC betting. Also, it's almost the football season. You know that is where I play. Matt has used my bookie. I'm going to continue to do so this year. Uh, I trust them. You get your payouts, which is awesome. And this year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs $100 to enter. Pick five NFL games against the spread every week. Climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cast prize. That's my bookie. You bet, you win, they pay. And right now, up to $1,000 of your first deposit bonus can get matched with the promo code ROTOVIZ. So double your first deposit. That's promo code ROTOVIZ. Visit MyBookie online today, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code ROTOVIZ. Bet, win, get paid. Some quick items for you, Matt. I was pretty excited about this move uh, with Duke Johnson going to the Texans just because I think it's going to be a, a fun move for him, and uh, from a pure fan-watching perspective, I can't wait to see what they do with him. How do you think this uh, impacts his outlook this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's good for him. I think he's going to return to someone who, uh, like in his first three years, uh, he had around 950-ish uh, scrimmage yards uh, per season. I think that's going to be kind of the neighborhood for him. Um, I think he's going to seize a significant amount of the workload from Lamar Miller. Yeah. Um, I, in my projections, had a situation where I didn't have to steal too much from Miller. I just had to take what would have been consolidated down in some of the lower-level running backs and lower-level receivers and push that up to Duke. Uh, so I'm actually feeling pretty good about his odds of being fantasy-relevant. Yeah, I agree. The AB saga continues, given the recent developments as he dropped down your board. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I need to again. I need to <laughs> update my projections <laughs> and rankings. But yeah, he's he's going to go down the board. That said, like I think there might be an overreaction. Yeah, like this this feels weird for me to say, but this actually might be like the opportunity to to buy him because I do think um, that he will get a lot of targets this year. Like I he I think he's going to play. Um, maybe he misses a game because of the frostbite thing, but I don't think so. Uh, I think he plays you know, 16 games uh, if he doesn't get suspended or doesn't leave the team in the middle of the season or whatever it is. But uh, I think this is actually a buying opportunity. Also, did you see, um, I think it's it's Pat Corain and Peter Overs that have like a fake NFL news site and they had one story that had something to do with AB and like they referenced your article in it. Yeah. Um, AB's kid uh, asked him about his race. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fantastic stuff. Yeah. All right. Good. I'm glad you saw that. Um, We are just weeks away from drafting our main event team. We've talked about the possibility of going tight and early. I'm hearing a lot of experts say that they're kind of souring on Zach Ertz this season. They don't expect him to be um, as solid of a play as he was last year. Is that where you stand on Ertz? And if you are down on him, is that because of, uh, you know, expectations for Dallas Goddard or maybe just other changes in the offense? Yeah. So uh, Ertz had career highs across the board in basically everything. Career highs in targets, receptions, yards, touchdowns. Um, so we should expect him not to do as well last year. Sorry, not to do as well this year as he did last year. Um, that said, I still have him basically tied with uh, George Kittle, um, but I think those two guys are behind uh, are behind Kelsey, and so I think Ertz is probably going to be overdrafted. So I would be fine with taking one of the guys behind him, um, whether uh, you do that kind of immediately uh, with. Uh, Hunter Henry or um, OJ Howard, mm-hmm. like one of those guys, I think would be fine. Um, Evan Ingram is also in the mix there, uh, and if you don't want to go with those guys, uh, I think you would be fine waiting and taking whoever kind of falls in that like ten to twelve range. Okay, so then to be clear, so do you have a tight end one tier that's Kelsey Kittle and Ertz are you saying that Ertz actually would be outside of that tier one and in a tier two with like OJ Howard Evan Ingram it sounds like no I yeah I have the big three okay um but but I have Ertz and Kittle basically tied with each other but I still think that um they're being probably drafted too high at least Ertz, I think, is being drafted too high. Kittle, I would be fine with taking Kittle, especially if he's the third one off the board. Yeah. You know, I, it's tricky for me, um, but I kind of agree. I think that now I'd probably rather take Kittle ahead of Ertz, and I'd probably be drafting Ertz if we have a situation where people kind of let him hang out there a little bit longer than you would expect before they take him and then move into that next tier. I have seen, though, a number of leagues where Howard and Engram managed to go um, into, like, the seventh round. And, I I mean, I don't know if that would happen in a tight end premium league in a main event type of situation, but if that happens, I'd, I'd be pretty interested in them. Yeah, I would rather have them uh, in that range, or even if you had to pay a little bit more, than have Ertz where he's going. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think a lot of that goes back to, I don't think that um, in like an average outcome, there's going to be a huge difference in points between Ertz 
and Ingram or Howard. And I think you could make a case where if things break right for um, either of those last two guys that I mentioned, they could come very close, even in like a good season for Ertz to his output. Yeah, I think that's fair, especially with Ingram. Like he could basically be like the number one receiver on that team. He might have to be. I mean, that offense could end up basically being Barkley and Ingram. Yeah. Uh, That's going to do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Be sure to check out Rotoviz. And if there are any topics you want us to discuss or questions you'd like for us to answer, send an email to rotovizradio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Validate 29 to 92 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.